Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. What's up, 1130? You doing all right? You doing all right? Well, I am glad to be back. Some of you didn't even know I went anywhere, but I'm glad to be back. Uh, this past week, I spent five days down in South America. I was in Colombia for five days with Compassion International, which is an organization that helps through child sponsorships to uh, affect change in the lives of part of the 400 million children worldwide that live on less than $1.90 a day, according to the latest statistics from World Bank. And they've got 1.9 children currently that they minister to. And uh, it was incredible to see kind of their ministry on the ground there and what they're able to accomplish and what they're able to do. I can't wait to tell you more about that trip, which I'll do in about four weeks on our Mission Celebration Sunday. So in about four or five weeks, I will do that, and we'll announce that date so you're aware of all that we're going to see that God's doing around the world. So I'll tell you more about that. But last Sunday, I wasn't here. Pastor Trevor uh, preached last week, did an incredible job. I listened on the podcast. If you weren't here, you need to go back and listen to it. But uh, the week before that, our little family had a rough week. Like, we were sick. I'm talking like sick, sick. Like, we we had the stomach bug, stomach flu, like death by throw up, whatever you want to call it. Like, it was bad. It was so bad. We have got four kids all in public school, so we're kind of a magnet for whatever's going around. We just kind of catch it and get it. And, uh, you know, the times we've had the stomach bug before, it was like a 24-hour bug. Not this time. This is like the worst strand ever. Um, And so... I don't want to gross you out, so anywhere that I would use other words, I'll just say symptomatic. So I got symptomatic in the middle of the night two Tuesdays ago. Um, I don't, I've got some free time between like 3 and 5 p.m. every afternoon, but I always get it in the middle of the night. I don't know why that is. I'm not sure what happens there. But in the middle of the night, that Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, I became symptomatic. And uh, I, did, I, I felt like I was like a really good husband. I, you know, our youngest three children... Uh, our five-year-old daughter, seven- and nine-year-old sons, they had all been sick earlier in the week, and, and I had tried to avoid them as if they had the plague while also being a loving father. But I had tried to stay away from them because if it's, if it's going to get got, I'm going to get it. And so I had tried to stay away, but I got it, and so I quarantined myself. I, like, went downstairs. I got on the couch. Uh, there are times, I'll admit, that I get, like, a common head cold, and I assume I'm dying. Like, I want us to call the CDC and warn them that there's a thing that's breaking out. Like, I, it's, that's how I do it sometimes. But I, I tried to be good. I tried to handle my own business. This will surprise some of you women, okay? So pay attention. I was able to make my own cold washcloth by myself. I wet the washcloth, put it on my head, no help from anyone. Laid on the couch, became symptomatic several times throughout the night, and, and so Corey got up the next morning. She got the kids off to school. Later in the day, she got our kids out of school. She came here Wednesday night to church, brought our son to the student life uh, worship experience. She was actually speaking that night to our student ministry. And so she spoke. She left. She came home. I kid you not, she walked in the door within 30 seconds. She became symptomatic. And then, so now she's symptomatic. I'm symptomatic. Our, our oldest son, Cooper, was the only one who had not gotten sick yet. And so as soon as he came home from youth group, he went to bed, middle of the night, he became symptomatic. Now all of us have gotten sick. So the next morning, I feel like Thursday morning, I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm a little better off than Corey. So I got up to get the kids off to school, got them off to school, went back to bed. I had 102 fever on Thursday. Corey had 103 fever on Thursday. Like we were sick, sick, sick folks. Cooper's in the bed. I mean, it's bad. So Thursday night, the kids get home from school, and I decide, you know what, I'm, I'm still better off than Corey, so I'm going to make the kids dinner. 
And so I got up, I went downstairs, Cooper's still in bed, Corey's still in bed, I'm not eating, so I decide I'm going to make dinner for Branson, Tucker, and Kinley. And I walked into the kitchen. Mm, it was bad. It's like, so here's the deal. It was clean. It wasn't because of dirty. It didn't have a smell. It wasn't that any food was out. Like, just the fact that food had ever been cooked in there made me nauseous. And so I did what any good father would do. I paid my nine-year-old $5 to make dinner for his brother and sister. I said, Branson, here's the credit card. If you want to order pizza, the number's saved in my cell phone. You do whatever you've got to do for dinner. And he made macaroni and cheese. Did an increase a stud. But $5 was the cheapest our family of six has ever eaten. It was, it was a pretty great night in that regard for the budget. Our youngest is Kinley. She's five. She has been labeled a drama queen by everybody. But she's a little girl. She's five. It comes with the territory. The last time that she was symptomatic, she stood in front of the toilet clenched fists on both sides of her body, stomping her feet. And as loudly and energetically as she possibly could, she said, why is this happening to me? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Why me? That's what I want to share today. But here's, here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know that even when we're in the midst of being sick, like, it feels like we're dying, but it passes in this kind of sickness, you know? And I I realize that we can joke about it, we can laugh about it, but I know that there is real pain and real suffering, real heartache that exists in the world. I know that some of you have experienced that even recently. Some of you have walked through that kind of road, and you know what it feels like, and you know what it's like to experience that. And I know some of you have asked that question, why? me. And sometimes that why me question, it comes in out of self-pity, but other times we are genuinely trying to understand what is happening in my life. In about 15 years of ministry or more, I've sat with people who say to me, listen, I worked hard. I was faithful on my job. And then they came in and told me that my role was expendable and they let me go. What did I do to deserve this? Why me? Several years ago, my mom passed away. She was 48 years old. At the time, Corey was pregnant with Kinley, our youngest. My brother, who has four children, now only had two at the time. And I remember in those days and in days since then thinking to myself and wondering, sometimes even aloud, why did Kinley and why did my brother, my brother's other two children and even the older children, why did they never get to meet the world's greatest Mimi? Why? Corey and I have sat with couples over the years where one member of that relationship, one party, perhaps was unfaithful to the other. And the innocent victim would sit there and look at us and ask, what did I do to deserve this? Why me? Why does this happen to me? There's very real pain and real suffering in the world. And And sometimes we're just asking God, like, God, what is going on? Maybe we don't just ask the question, why me? Sometimes we look at other people and their life isn't playing out the same way our life is. And so maybe we ask the question, why not them? Why aren't they having to experience what I'm having to experience? Why aren't they experiencing pain or tragedy? We're not trying to be mean. We don't wish evil on them. But we're trying to figure out, why am I having to endure this? And they're not. And so we ask these very real questions. And so that's where we want to spend our time today. 
You know, over the last couple of weeks as we've been looking at this series, Perspective, we've been looking at a couple of questions that we believe can shape our year and shape our lives. Two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Simon Peter being called by Christ, and we, we asked that question, what is life? We talked about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Last week, Pastor Trevor asked the question, have I blown it? And looked again at Simon Peter, looking at, is there really life after our greatest failures, after our greatest mistakes? And today, we want to stay with the story of Simon Peter, and we want to look at this question, why me? We pick up the story today in John chapter 21. So if you've got a Bible or you've got a device and you want to follow along, John chapter 21 is where we're going to spend our time. Most of these scriptures today should be up on the screen if you don't have something to follow along personally there. In this interaction of John chapter 21, we see Jesus and Simon Peter having a conversation. And as they're having a conversation... Jesus, who has gone to the cross, he's gone to the tomb, he was dead, he was resurrected, he begins appearing to his followers. And in this instance, they've been fishing, and he appears to them, and now they're eating fish on the shore. And he asks Peter three separate times, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. He says, okay, feed my sheep. He says, okay, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. He says, okay, take care of my lambs. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter gets frustrated. And he says, Lord, you know all things. Why do you keep asking me the same question? You know I love you. And Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. And then in continuation of that sentence, there's no pause, there's no break. Verse 18, we continue reading. After Jesus responds to Peter's response and gives him this task, he continues with this in verse 18 of John 21. This is Jesus talking. He says, very truly, I tell you, Peter, When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Now, this is such an interesting conversation and an interesting passage here. Because again, we have this back and forth interaction between Jesus and Peter. We have this conversation taking place. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Take care of my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. And then... In verses 18 and 19, Jesus predicts the type of death that Peter would die. He is prophesying about the way that Peter's life would end. History would tell us that Peter was crucified upside down on a cross. And so he is predicting here. He's prophesying how Peter is going to die. And so Peter, in response to that, doesn't necessarily ask why me in this moment. He looks at another disciple. Now, this is the Gospel of John. The writer here is John, and it says that the the disciple that Christ loved the most, which is John talking about himself, he's assuming that Jesus loved him more than he loved everybody else. It's a little bit of John's personal pride. But he says, okay, the disciple that Jesus loved the most, the one that he leaned back against at the supper, Peter looks at John and says, what about him? Will he have to suffer like I have to suffer? Will he have to die the kind of death that I'm going to have to die? What about him? And you don't always get the unfiltered attitude and the sarcasm from Jesus that you get right here, but I love this when Jesus said, that's none of your business. What if I want him to remain alive until I return? What is that to you? You must follow me. Now, if you keep reading, it says that rumors then started that John was going to live forever and all that, but that's not the point of the story because remember, Jesus wasn't talking to John or about John. Peter 
pointed to John. Jesus was talking to Peter. And Jesus was trying to accomplish something in Peter and, and get into Peter's heart and Peter's life. Peter was the one that pointed to John. Jesus didn't point to John. Jesus was pointing to Peter. But I think if we're not careful, if we only focus on the first part of the story where it's, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Here's a job. Here's a task. Here's a purpose for you to take care of my followers. If we focus on that, or if we focus on him prophesying about the type of death that Peter would die, or if we focus on him pointing at John and Jesus saying, don't worry about him, worry about me, I think we would miss a huge part of this story. If you noticed, at the end of verse 19, Jesus said, then he said, follow me. Verse 22, at the end of the passage we just read, Jesus says, you must follow me. If you remember where we started two weeks ago, we, we started by talking about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And here it is that Jesus is not just talking about, do you love me? He's actually calling Peter to follow after him. Now, do you remember when you were a kid and you first learned the principle that actions speak louder than words? I do. I don't really know why I remember it other than it was, it was a very formative moment in my life. I was about nine or ten years old and I had made a mess in our house. And I didn't clean it up, I covered it up, which was kind of my M.O. as a kid. And so I didn't clean it up, I covered it up, and my mom found the mess and she confronted me about the mess that I had made and not cleaned up. And so she came to me and she said, Jeremy, did you make this mess? I said, yes, I'm sorry. We both realized I was not actually sorry. And so she did something different in response there. Normally she would make me clean up the mess or maybe help her clean up the mess, but she didn't do that on this day. On this day, for whatever reason, she just started cleaning up my mess while I watched her. And while I watched her clean up the mess that I made, I realized I'm a terrible person. And so I said to her while she's cleaning up my mess, I'm sorry, Mom. I love you, Mom. I'm really sorry, Mom. I love you. And she stopped what she was doing. And she looked up at me as she's cleaning up my mess. And she said, Jeremy, there's a difference in saying you're sorry and showing me you're sorry. And there is a difference in saying that you love me and showing me that you love me. Because actions speak louder than words. And I've never forgotten that. The, the power of that moment. I've never forgotten what she said to me. And I would contend to you today that John 21, verses 18 through 22, are Jesus' actions speak louder than words speech to Peter. Because think about where they started. They started by Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yes, I love you. He says, okay, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Okay, take care of my lambs. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And then he goes right into talking about the type of death that Peter would die. Now, thank God, Jesus is not like me. Now, I'm trying to be like Jesus. I still got a ways to go. But thank God, he's not like me. Because if I were Jesus standing there in that moment, and I said, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord. I'd be like, really? Because a couple of days ago, a little girl asked you if you followed me and you denied me. Yeah, 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 but I didn't mean that. I mean this. Okay, well, do you love me? Yes. Really? 
Because right after that, on the same night, there was another guy that recognized your accent and said that you must be one of my followers, and you denied me again, like just a couple minutes later. Yeah, 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 but I didn't really mean that. Like, I was, I was afraid for my life. I didn't really mean that. So, but I really mean this when I tell you that I love. Okay, so do you love me? Why do you keep asking me this, Lord? You know that I love you. Really? Because then a third time, somebody else thought that you were a follower of mine, and you denied me again in the same night. So, like, your words don't really mean so much to me right now. That you tell me that you love me because I actually heard some different words come out of your mouth just a few days ago. And then he just continues talking, Jesus does. And he says, but here's the deal. When you get older, you're going to suffer. You're going to experience pain. You're going to die a martyr's death. So, follow me. And not only that, but when Peter points at John and says, yeah, but what about him? Does he have to suffer? He says, listen, don't pay attention to him. You pay attention to me. Come and follow me. I think this was Jesus saying to Peter, this is about action more than it's about words. Now, I am not here today to tell you that you will experience great pain and tragedy and suffering and sorrow. That's not my job. I'm not writing your story. God is. If you have experienced great personal pain or tragedy or suffering, I'm not here today to tell you that you will experience more. That's not my job. I'm not writing your story. God is. Right? God is the one writing our story. And we don't always fully understand what God is writing and what God is doing. But if we believe that God is writing our story, there comes a point where we have to trust that he knows what he's doing. It's like if we walked into a movie theater and we watched the screen for 30 seconds out of a three-hour movie and then we walked out and had coffee with the writer and we rebuked him for getting the story wrong. We have a limited perspective. We have a small understanding of the greater story that God is writing. And I realize this is the part of God that we're just like a little bit uncomfortable with and we don't know what's happening and why it's happening and why God allows what he allows and what things are happening and why they're, we don't understand all that. I get it. And I'm not here today to tell you that you're going to suffer more or suffer greatly or have personal tragedy. You may or you may not. I am not the one writing your story. I'm here to ask you a different question. If you knew that you had to suffer, if you knew that you had to experience pain, if you knew that there was tragedy in front of you, would you still follow Christ? Would you still follow him? If he looked at you and said, listen, as you follow me, you're going to experience suffering and pain. Come and follow. Don't just tell me you love me. Come and follow after me. Would you still do it? I might even ask it this way. Would an assurance of suffering change your allegiance to the Savior? I'm going to read that again. Would an assurance of suffering change your allegiance to the Savior? And that's really good alliteration, and it sounds nice, but I don't ask it that way because it sounds nice. I ask it that way because I had forgotten who Peter was talking to. I had forgotten who he was talking to. Maybe you did as well. He wasn't just talking to Jesus. He was talking to resurrected Jesus. That's a, that's a difference in the story here. Because Jesus was the one who was beaten, literally. Jesus was the one who went to the cross and died for the salvation of many. 
he went to the tomb, the power of God resurrected him, and he's standing in front of Peter. And in another account where Thomas, one of the other disciples, was doubting, he was able to see the nail scars and the, the, the pierced side. And, and I don't know that this is what's happening, but if Jesus talked with his hands the way that I talk with my hands, as he's talking to Peter and he's calling him to a life of following, Peter could see the nail scars. I don't know if he could see the scars from the crown of thorns that had rested upon Jesus' head. But this is not somebody calling him to suffering that had not experienced it himself. He's saying, come and follow me, even if it means to suffer. Because there's a greater story that God is writing in the world. This is the same Jesus that when he went to the garden before he went to the cross, said to the Father, if there's any way for this cup of suffering to pass by me, let it be so. Not my will, but your will be done. He goes and he hangs on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth. And he looks up at the Father and he asks the same question that you and I ask in moments of pain. Why have you forsaken me? Why me? Why me? It's one of the most human moments that we see from Jesus. Why me? The reality is that God had not forsaken Jesus. God was writing a story that needed to play out. There was a series of events that were necessary so that you and I could be saved. The bruises that he experienced were necessary so that you and I could be healed. The blood that poured out of him was necessary so that you and I could be saved. His suffering was necessary so that when you suffer, he knows what you're walking through. Because there is a truth that exists all throughout Scripture that tells us of something that's different. Because remember, I'm not here to tell you that you will suffer. I'm here to offer you something else. And that something else is found in passages like Psalm 91, verse 2, when it says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. It's found in passages like Psalm 46, 1, which says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 73 is powerful. I would encourage you, if you've never read Psalm 73, or even if you have, to go back and read it sometime today. It's not a long psalm, but the reason that I love it is because it starts with such, some of the same emotions that you and I experience on a regular basis when things are coming against us. He says, listen, the, the, the wicked are getting fat, and they're getting rich, and the people of God are suffering. And I don't understand it, and I don't know why this is happening. But look how this resolves in verse 23. He says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Just like I can't promise you that you will experience suffering, I can't promise you that you won't. I can't promise you a lack of suffering in your life, but I can promise you that you will never lack 
his presence. He says that he will be near to you, that he is an ever-present help in trouble. He is your refuge. He is your strength. He will be with you. Psalm 23 is probably one of the most famous passages of Scripture that we have in God's Word. Some of you can quote it. The first four verses say this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. When I was a little boy, we lived in a three-story house. It wasn't a really large house. It just had three floors. In the basement is where we put our television, and it's where we watched TV. The main level, if you came in from the street, was where our living room was and our kitchen was, and so that's kind of where we lived. And then the third level, the upstairs, was where all the bedrooms were at. And there was a night, one night when I was a little boy, and I was down in the basement and I was watching television. Chances are great that I was watching a ball game and that the ball game hadn't ended yet. And so my parents and my brother had gone upstairs to get ready for bed. And I'm still downstairs watching television, kind of watching how the, 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 the game was going to end or the show was going to end, whatever was happening. And it wasn't storming outside, but all of the sudden, the power went out in our house. It was already dark outside. The power went out. We later found out it went out in the whole neighborhood. But the power went out, and I was totally unprepared for that. I, honestly, I, I didn't have a flashlight. I didn't have a candle. This was before cell phones. I didn't have anything. I'm partially below ground. I felt like I was being buried alive. Like, it was terrifying. So it gets pitch black, and, and I just, I didn't know what to do. My parents were all the way on the top floor of the house, and so I, I didn't know what to do. So I just reached back. I did the only thing I knew to do. I just reached back and touched something solid. I just touched the wall. And I knew that that wall, as it continued, got to the opening that took us onto the steps that took us up to the second floor and would eventually get me to where my parents were at on the third floor. And so I just grabbed a hold of the wall. And I started sliding along the wall and sliding down the couch until I got to the end of the couch and I stood up and I'm still holding onto the wall and I just kept working towards the opening of the steps. I got to the bottom step, I turned the corner, and I tried to look up the stairwell and it was, it was so black. I mean, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. I was terrified. And so as I put my foot on that first step, I just screamed out, Dad! Mom, can you hear me? And I'm sure they screamed back, but it was so faint. It was like a whisper. I heard my dad's voice. He said, Jeremy, I hear you. I'm coming down the steps. You come up the steps. You come towards me. I'm coming towards you. You just keep walking. And so I held onto that wall, and I just took another step. I just moved up the steps slowly. And, and, and every few seconds, the silence would just grip me with fear. It was so dark and it was so quiet that I was, I was afraid. And so I would just call out again and I would say, Dad, you still coming? Dad, I, I'm still, I don't hear you. I don't see you yet. Are you still on your way? And he'd say, I'm coming, Jeremy. Just keep walking. 
keep going up the steps. I'm on my way. So I just kept walking. I'd be afraid. Dad, I don't hear you. I don't see you. Are you sure you're coming? Jeremy, I'm coming. You just keep moving. What if? What if every time it hurt? What if every time we were suffering? What if every time there was pain? What if every time it was dark? What if every time it was quiet? Instead of asking the question, why me? Instead of asking the question, why not them? What if we said, Lord, are you there? I don't see you. I don't feel you. I don't, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why this is happening to me. Are you there? I promise you, every single time, he'll respond like my dad did. He'll say, I'm right here. It may sound like a whisper to you, but he'll say, I'm right here. Keep moving. Keep walking. Keep going. Don't give up. I promise you, I am here. I said I would never leave you. I would never forsake you. You don't have to fear evil because I am with you. Keep going. I'm your refuge. I'm your strength. Keep going. What if every time you wanted to say, why me? What if every time you wanted to point to somebody else and say, why not them? What if you just said, God, are you even near me? Are you even close to where I'm at right now? Because I'm hurting. I promise you, he is right there. He knows what you feel. He knows what you're going through. He hung on that cross and he asked the Father himself, why? He knows what you're going through. If you'll ask that question, you'll hear his response. You'll be reminded of his truth and his word. And you can have the confidence and the boldness to say, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you today for your presence. God, we thank you today for prayer. And I pray for every person that came to the front for prayer, or maybe they stayed in their seat, but they connected with you and they were reminded today that you are with them in the midst of whatever they're walking through. God, we thank you today for that promise and that assurance, and I pray that it gives us confidence and boldness when we leave this place, that we're not walking one step of this journey by ourselves, but you are with us, and we don't have to fear evil. God, we thank you today for all that's been done and all that will be done, and your name will give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.